Well, I talked uh, to Bill, the senior, excuse me, the campus pastor here at Brookside about three or four months ago, and he asked me to come speak here at Christ Community today. And uh, he said, you can preach about whatever you want. So uh, I don't know if that was a mistake or not, but um, we talked about a couple options. And what I'm going to be sharing today, we kind of agreed on together. And it can be represented by this photo up on the screen. Right there is a picture, and if you had to guess, uh, you might guess that that's a grandfather, or a great-grandfather perhaps, with his grandson and his granddaughter doing his best to kind of put up with his grandson as he's acting out there. Uh, But that's not the case. The older gentleman in the picture is a man named Erling. He's 89 years old. And the young boy there is a young boy named Emmett, who's three years old. And Emmett and Erling are not related, they're neighbors. This was a story that uh, some time ago kind of went viral and was passed on the different news channels and a lot of people were showing it. And the story goes that uh, one summer, Erling was out in his backyard gardening, and we got some pictures of this. And as he was out gardening, tilling the soil, little Emmett, his neighbor, comes over and says, what are you doing, Erling? And they start hanging out, and little Emmett just loves the fact, he, he, he's getting into gardening as Erling is showing him kind of how to, how to do it, how to till the soil and things like that. Pretty soon, Erling starts planting tomatoes, and as those continue to grow up, Emmett shows up almost every day, and he would ask Erling, hey, Erling, you got any tomatoes? And they would go back and forth and talk about uh, gardening. Well, as he continued to come over day after day, uh, sometimes Erling wouldn't be gardening, but he came over one day and Erling was working on a bike. He's tightening the screws, he's putting air in the tires, we can go to that next slide. And Emmett said, what are you doing? And Erling started to show him how to fix a bike. Pretty soon, uh, Emmett and Erling were going on bike rides uh, together, just kind of enjoying their time together. Then one day, little Emmett got a... uh, kind of this tractor that could be ridden around, kind of an electric tractor, and he brought it over to Erling's. He was so exciting. He was so excited to show Erling, and he found out that Erling had the real thing, and he loved to come over with his tractor, and they would race each other around the yard. Uh, Emmett's mom said that Emmett was coming over almost every single day to hang out with Erling. But the story took place uh, in Minnesota, and for all of you uh, probably know something about Minnesota, you know that summertime is great, but winter's not so much, and it's difficult to get outside in the wintertime. So winter was coming. And Emmett's mom was wondering, would this, kind of this relationship that had been built over the summer, would it continue or not? So sure enough, the first blizzard of the year comes. Six inches of snow, one foot of snow, a foot and a half of snow comes, and Emmett's mom is thinking, this, this is the end for a while. She gets up early that next morning, and she can hear a snowblower going on in the distance. And she looks out her window, and there Erling was taking the snowblower and not simply plowing out his driveway. He was plowing a path from his house to Emmett's house, back and forth and back and forth, 89 years old, making sure that Emmett could come over and play. I heard a few O's there. You know, that's kind of the moment that's kind of uh, touching in the story. But that story became viral and was being sent on and being played in different news outlets. And why was that story so popular? 
Well, first of all, I think it was unique, right? The fact that a three-year-old was hanging out with an 89-year-old. How many friends do you have that are 86 years older or younger than you are? You know, probably not very many. But I think in addition to that, it was grabbing people because it was a celebration of this thing that we experience as humans that is one of the most rich experiences of our life, of our lives. It's the gift of friendship. And it's that gift of friendship that was on display in Erling and Emmett that we're going to look at uh, a little bit today. Now, I know for some of us, maybe you, you hear that we're talking about friendship in church, and maybe that doesn't sound too quote-unquote spiritual. But I guarantee you, as you read through the Bible, and specifically the book of Proverbs, specifically Proverbs, you'll find that if you want to live a rich, fulfilling, flourishing, prosperous life, then cultivating and keeping and making and growing friendships is really, really important. It's really important. So we're going to be looking at the Proverbs today, and the Proverbs is uh, wisdom literature, and the Hebrew word for wisdom is chokama. Chokama. And wisdom in the Bible is not just head knowledge. It's not just being really, really smart. Wisdom is skill. It's skill at living. It's the realization that life is complex. It's nuanced. We face challenges. And it's not just simple and straightforward. We actually need skill to navigate the complexities of life. And the Proverbs say that you need skill to cultivate friendships. And if you can do that, there's huge benefits. In fact, research has come out, and i uh, got some research on the screen here from the New York Times. Here's some facts about friendship. Harvard researchers reported that strong social ties could promote brain health as we age. In many studies, friendship has an even greater effect on health than a spouse or a family member. People with strong friendships are less likely than others to get colds. Now, figure that one out. I don't know how that works. Um, they were saying that uh, when you're with friends, you're, sometimes your stress levels go down, and that has a better effect on your health, was the thinking. But there's one study that I wanted to share with you guys that is really interesting. Researchers studied 34 students at the University of Virginia, taking them to the base of a steep hill and fitting them with a weighted backpack. So you got that picture in your head there? They were then asked to estimate the steepness of the hill. Some participants stood next to friends during the exercise, while others were alone. The students who stood with friends gave lower estimates of the steepness of the hill. And the longer the friends had known each other, the less steep the hill appeared. So in other words, your friends can deceive you. That's what the message is there. No, that's not what the message is. The message there is that these people who are alone, they're looking at the steepness of the hill, and they're thinking, oh, gosh, I could never go up that hill. But if you had a close friend beside you, you looked at that very same hill with the same steepness, and you said, we can do that. We're together. I'm with my friend. If all this research is true, it's simply bearing out the fact of what the Proverbs tells us, that if you're going to live a rich, meaningful, flourishing life, you need to gain the skill of cultivating keeping, growing friendships. So that's what we're going to be looking at today. And usually at this point, I would uh, open up the Bible and we'd look at a text of Scripture, some passages on friendship. But uh, we're going to hold on off on that for just a moment. Stay with me. Because uh, I want to talk about some of the, the challenges that we face in 2015 uh, for forming strong friendships. We face a lot of headwinds. It's not easy. 
So I think the first challenge of forming strong friendships is the fact that we live in a transient society, don't we? I mean, four years ago, Margie and I, we left Kansas City here. We moved to Madison, and we were leaving behind great friends here. And when we came to this new place, it felt like we were starting over. And it took us probably at least a year and probably two years to begin to form friendships that were deep and rich. I bet if I were to ask you guys, and we were to show hands this morning, to ask you if in the last five years, either you've moved away or a close friend has moved away or been kind of taken away for one reason or another, I bet we'd see most hands uh, go up in this place. We live in a transient society, and because of that, it's, it's hard to maintain really close, significant friendships over the long haul. The second challenge, I think, for forming friendships is just the fact that we live busy lives, don't we? We're always on the go, we're always committing to this thing, we got this thing, and then, you know, someone's involved in this, and I got a project that night, and before you know it, a good friend that you've got, you might not see them for two, three, four, five, six weeks. Compound that over a lifetime, and it's very difficult to maintain friendships. A third reason uh, that I think it's really hard to uh, cultivate friendships in our day is uh, something that C.S. Lewis, there's his name again, uh, said in a chapter on friendship in uh, The Four Loves, one of the great chapters in Lewis. And he says, I don't know if you'll buy this, I did, uh, but he says that our instincts don't drive us to it. Think of all the loves we experience, romantic love or affection, the love that a, a parent has for their child. Our instincts drive us to it, but our instincts don't drive us to friendship. Here's what Lewis says. He says, friendship is the least instinctive of the loves. There's nothing throaty about it. There's nothing that quickens the pulse or turns you red and pale. Without eros, that's romantic love, none of us would have been begotten. And without affection, the love for a parent to a child, none of us would have been reared. But we can live and breed without friendship. (laughs) So he's saying, you know, life can get busy, but we're going to come back to romance and affection. But friendship, it can just kind of get pushed to the side. It's a huge challenge. And then finally, I'll say, I know you guys want to look at some scripture and say prove it. But uh, one final thing. Friendship uh, is difficult because our culture does not emphasize it at all. Our culture emphasizes romantic love. You guys been to the grocery store and you're standing in line and you find yourself looking over at the glossy magazines on the side. You know, you ever do this? Have you ever looked over to these glossy magazines and seen, like, the headline, Breaking News, Oprah Becomes Good Friends with Paris Hilton, you know? No, of course not. It's always who's breaking up with who, and who's dating who, and who's having a kid with who. It's always romantic love. Or what about music? Turn on the radio, How many songs do you hear in the top 40 that deal with romantic love? Almost every song. How many songs are there about friendship? You know, friends aren't singing to one another. Well, there there was one song where friends sang to another. Do you remember the song? A friend's a friend forever. If the Lord's... Come on, you know it. Sing with me. The them... And a friend will not say never. You know this. Because a welcome will... You guys don't know this song. (laughs) Okay, uh, that's all right. Uh, Went over some of our heads. If you were born after 1990 or you were not a part of the Christian bubble, um, that was Michael W. Smith, 1983, A Friend's A Friend Forever. 
And uh, that song has been going on forever. Poor Michael W. Smith, for the last 30 years, has been playing that song. And he must be totally sick of it. But uh, it's the only song we got on friendship, so we keep coming back to it. Friendship, easy to push to, to the side. But if we're going to live a flourishing life, we've got to cultivate the skill of making and keeping good friends. So let's look at some Bible uh, passages that talk about this in the Proverbs. Uh, if you want to turn there, uh, great. We're also going to be putting them on the screen. But turn to Proverbs uh, chapter 17. Proverbs chapter 17. If you don't have a Bible, you can, uh, I think there's one in, in your row. Otherwise, uh, it's up on the screen. Proverbs 17, 17 says this. A friend loves at all times. And a brother is born for a time of adversity. We're going to be talking just through a few of the skills of cultivating friendships. And the first one is here in Proverbs 17, 17, which I'm just calling loyalty. Loyalty. A friend loves at all times. The, the author of Proverbs here isn't saying that you're going to be with your friend all the time, 24-7, you always hang out. He's saying all kinds of time. No matter where things are easy or difficult, whether your friend is going through a time where their life is falling apart or time just seems to go easily with them, a friend is there. They're, they're loyal at all times. Another way the Proverbs say that is if you turn the page uh, to Proverbs 18, 18, 24. It says this. It says, a man of many companions may come to ruin. But there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. There's two groups there that you see who are compared. There's companions on the first line and there's one friend on the second line. We might say that a man of many acquaintances may come to ruin, but there's a friend who sticks closer uh, than a brother. Some time ago, I was on my Facebook site, looking on my Facebook page. Uh, you guys have one of these, yes? No? Okay, all right. Um, maybe we got some holdouts, I'm not sure. Uh, but I was on my Facebook page, and my friends list there, I was looking, I had 902 friends. You guys, that's pretty good. 902 friends? <laughs> I'm pretty popular. I was feeling very good about myself. And, but then I, I actually clicked on the list of friends in this list of 902 friends. And I'm looking at some of these people. I'm like, who are these people? <laughs> I didn't even recognize uh, several of the people or I could faintly remember where I had met them. I felt like if I would see them in public, I might not even recognize them. If I had to have dinner with them, it would be really awkward because we, we wouldn't know what to talk about. Uh, we, we hadn't seen each other in so much time. They were really acquaintances. Facebook should have an, an acquaintance request, you know. I actually went through a couple months later and actually was deleting these people who I could hardly recognize. It felt really good. It was like I was cleansing my soul almost. Anyway, <laughs> if Facebook comes back with an acquaintance request, I'll, I'll gladly approve them. But anyway, um, the point is that we have lots of people in our lives, don't we, that we kind of know a little bit. An acquaintance is someone that you see out in the lobby and you say, hey, how's it going? Haven't seen you in a while. Or they're going through a rough time, and you say, wow, I'm really sorry to hear that. Call me if you need anything. But you can be a social butterfly and have lots of acquaintances, lots of people you know, but when your life hits rock bottom and you go through the depths, 
you might come to ruin. You might fall through the cracks. But if you've got a close friend or you are a close friend to someone, even if it's only one person, you're not going to let them go to ruin when, you, when your life falls apart. So a friend is loyal. A friend is tethered to each other in a way that your sorrows are their sorrows. Your joys are their joys. Your hurts are their hurts. Your grief is their grief. It doesn't matter what you're going through. You're in it together. The friend there was compared to the enemy that multiplies kisses. <laughs> in the a- ancient Near Eastern context, you greeted each other by uh, giving of a kiss. Kiss on the cheek. The idea is there is that you could be multiplying kisses and acting like you're really close on the surface, but there's actually a huge distance between the two of you. We have people in our lives like that, right? That maybe we don't get along well, and it looks all right on the surface, but actually there's an enemy. There's a word for that in our context. We call them frenemies. (laughs) Are they friends or are they enemies? There's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. In the context that that was written as well, in the ancient Near East, that was a staggering statement. Because the most important social unit in the ancient Near East was the family. It was your mother, it was your father, it was your brother and your sister who you had the closest relationships with. And yet here the writer is saying, there's, a, there's something that a friend can do that not even a family member can do in your life. A role that they can fulfill in your life. There's a book that many of you are familiar with uh, called The Lord of the Rings, J.R.L. Tolkien, this epic tale. And it's really an epic story about friendship. Made into a motion picture. Many of us uh, have seen uh, the picture, the film. But it's a story of four friends. And the main character on the right there is Frodo. And Frodo is tasked by Gandalf, if you know the story, to go on a long journey with a ring. And this ring is a symbol of power and destructive force. And Frodo's supposed to carry this ring on a perilous journey, almost certain death, all the way to Mordor, where he's going to throw this ring in the mountain so it's completely destroyed. But as Frodo comes to grips with the gravity and the weight of this journey, he doesn't really want his friends to come with him. Because he doesn't want to expose them to all the danger and all the peril that he's going to face. He doesn't want them to die with him, essentially. So the question of the story early on is, is Frodo going to go alone or is he going to be there with his friends? And in the book, Sam, who's second there, and uh, he says this. Go to the quote. Sam looked at Frodo unhappily. It all depends on what you want. You can trust us to sick with you through thick and thin to the bitter end. And you can trust us to keep any secret of yours closer than you keep it yourself. But you cannot trust us to let you face trouble alone and go out without a word. Where are your friends, Frodo? Anyway, there it is. We know most of what Gandalf has told you. We know a good deal about the ring. We are horribly afraid. But we are coming with you or following you like hounds. (laughs) I love that picture. Because he's saying, whether you want us to or not, even if we have to follow at a distance, we're going to follow you like hounds. Because the fact is, we're your friends, we're tethered to your life, and if you're going even into danger, we're going to stand by you. See, they knew something that the Proverbs are affirming, that loyalty is at the center of what true friendship is. What does that look like for you? You've got a friend that you haven't called in a while or been with. 
could be a friend that's going through a difficult time, a friend that's going through the dumps or whatever has divided you. Maybe it's time for a call or a card or a visit. There's a second attribute that comes in the Proverbs, and that comes in Proverbs 27. 27, 5 and 6. Proverbs 27, 5 and 6 says, Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the words of a friend, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Second characteristic that the Proverbs point us to in true friendship is honesty. I'm just calling it honesty there. When I say honesty, obviously the Proverbs is not talking about not lying, telling the truth all the time. It's talking about those moments in our friendships when either you have to say to a friend or they have to say to you a word that might sting. So it's a true word. Uh, It might catch us off guard, but it's a faithful word because it's got your best interest in mind. It's kind of like that moment when you're out to dinner with someone, got a good meal, got good conversation going, good ambiance, everything seems to be right. But you got a big chunk of broccoli stuck in your teeth. <laughs> and as the conversation goes on, if you've got a true friend, you know, if you don't have a true friend, you go home that night and you look in the mirror and you've got this chunk of broccoli and you say, did they see that the whole time? I don't know. But if you've got a true friend, they're going to stop the conversation or tell you, hey, you've You've got some broccoli out of your teeth, in your teeth. And you'll be embarrassed, but you'll, you know, you'll take it out and you'll be grateful for it. Now, if you're like me, you've got issues in your life that you can't see that are way more pressing than broccoli in your teeth. <laughs> There's issues for all of us with our character, for, for our attitudes, for the way that we're acting to others, for our, our words that we're speaking, that we may be completely oblivious to, that we may not see. And if we have a true friend, there's someone that is able to pull us to the side and and have a hard word. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but an enemy multiplies kisses. It's that time when you might have to pull someone aside and say, I know you've got these priorities that are important for you, but you've been pulling back from those things. What's going on? Is there anything that I can help with? Anything we can talk through? Or you might say, hey, I've been noticing lately that you've just been stressed out, and whenever you're with your family, your kids, your spouse, you've been kind of stressed out and, and yelling and, and harsh with them. Is everything okay? Can we talk through something? You say a hard word that might actually might not be received well at the start, but it's because you have their best interest in mind. That's contrasted in that verse with this uh, aspect of... Um, where was it? Put that verse up on the screen one more time. Sorry. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but an enemy multiplies uh, kisses. It's this aspect that um, sometimes when we avoid saying the, th- the thing that's difficult, we actually don't care for the person. Think about maybe someone that you don't get along with well. <laughs> and you think about that person and you're not sure that you want to get like messy and have a difficult conversation because you actually don't care where they, they wind up in their life. But if you really care about someone and where they're going and who they're becoming, sometimes you'll say a difficult word. It's like when you're driving down the road, right? When you're driving with someone and maybe they're the ones that are driving and if they start to drift off the road, 
You're not going to let them keep going. You're going to shout and say, hey, get back on the right side of the road. Of course, you're in the car too, so maybe that's part of it. But it's because you don't want to see them drifting. You want to call that out and call attention to that. A true friendship, sometimes you say a difficult word. The outcome of that is in Proverbs 27, 17. If you do that, it says, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. This idea that that sharpening doesn't happen unless there's some friction at certain points. So that's the second uh, thing that the Proverbs point us to is honesty. But there's a third aspect in the Proverbs of cultivating strong friendships that comes in Proverbs 27, 9. It's this. It says, The pleasantness of one's friend springs from his earnest counsel. Another translation says, The pleasantness of one's friend springs from their heartfelt advice. This third category is simply earnest counsel or heartfelt advice. The idea here is when someone says in your life, it's not just take it or leave it, you know, see what you think about it. No, it's actually coming from a place of deep concern that they know your life, they know your story, they know your history, and they speak uh, from their heart. We live in a time, don't we, when if you're going through a difficult period in your life or faced with a tough decision, you can log on to Google, (laughs) you can type in your question, And you can have a thousand answers come up. You know, ten reasons you should do this and this when starting a relationship. Or eight things to consider before a big financial decision. Or six tips to do this or that. It's all over the place on the internet. But isn't there something different when you're going through a very difficult choice or decision or time of life. And you have a friend sit next to you who knows your story. Who knows where you've been, your longings and your hopes. And they speak out of their heart to you with counsel. Something very different. The pleasantness of one's friend springs from their earnest counsel. I was at a place uh, like that about 10 years ago. I was uh, going to seminary. And my goal going to seminary was not to be a pastor. It was to be a professor in a college. And I thought I was going to go do a quick master's degree and do a quick doctorate degree, and then I was going to be on, uh, you know, on staff at a university or liberal arts college. But I went through that first semester at seminary in Chicago 10 years ago, and I had this realization that, oh no, I don't think I want to be a professor anymore. I was taking all these classes, and I found out that I would have to spend probably not six years in total of school, but probably 10 or 11 years of school And I thought, that didn't sound too good. Uh, I started learning about the job market. But more than that, I just sensed that that wasn't my wiring to continue down that path. So I almost dropped out of seminary. I was looking at uh, maybe doing my MBA, maybe going to law school. I even started studying for the GMAT, which is the entrance exam for business school. And I'm praying and kind of wrestling through this decision. And I can remember even today, sitting down with a good friend. It's actually Bill who's the pastor here. He's a great, great friend of mine. I was telling him some of my plans, some of the things that I was thinking, and Bill just looked at me and he said, Matt, I'm sad, I'm really sad to hear that you're leaving seminary. He said, Matt, you're a pastor. That's what I see in you. You've got to keep going down this road. Whatever you do, I'm going to support you, but that's, that's what I see. To this day, I still remember that conversation with Bill. It was a turning point. 
From that point on, I began to pray and continue to talk with people, and I decided to switch and stay in seminary. And the reason, or because I did that, I ended up in Christ Community Church a few years later. It's where I met my wife. It's where uh, I met some of my best friends. It's where I've served for seven years as a pastor. It's the reason why I've come back here today, and I'm serving as an executive director. It's all because of that counsel that Bill gave in a moment where I was looking for direction. The pleasantness of one's friend springs from their earnest counsel. There are certain crossroads that you come to, and maybe you feel completely lost. But it's a time to sit down with a friend or to go to a friend and to speak. And the thing is, it takes a lot of thoughtfulness. It takes a lot of care. It takes a lot of gentleness because that's a, that's a precarious position. But you actually have an opportunity uh, to engage in the pleasantness of friendship there. So those are the three things, the three main things that I think the Proverbs point us to in cultivating and keeping and growing uh, friendships. But we might hear a message like this and we might say, okay, Matt, that's very nice advice. That's some nice tips from the Proverbs. But there might be some different feelings that a message like this uh, brings up. Number one, it might bring a sense of longing to some of us. Because the reality is, probably for most of us, maybe all of us, we don't have all the friends that our heart desires. You might be going through a period of life right now, maybe even through no fault of your own, where you're actually really lonely. You don't have relationships and don't experience the depth of what we've seen here in the Proverbs. So this brings a sense of longing inside of you. Certainly this side of the new heavens and the new earth, there are going to be stretches of time when we don't experience as many friendships as our heart desires. But there might also be another feeling that a message like this brings. It might bring a feeling of despair or being crushed. Because the reality is, if you're like me, let's be honest. Some of the reason why we don't have all the friends that our hearts desire, desires, it's not just because we live in a transient society or we're too busy or our instincts aren't driving us to it. There are cases when I haven't always been the kind of friend that the Proverbs are pointing to here. After all, how easy is it for you to be loyal no matter what the cost, no matter what that other person is going through in their life and what friction there is? It's difficult. How easy is it for you to say maybe a difficult word that they really need to hear? Or to hear it from a friend and not put up a wall and say, who are you to say that? To humble yourself. I haven't always been the type of person to develop these kind of friendships. So where, do we, where are we going to go from here? How are we going to become these type of people? Well, I think there's a clue in the Gospels. In John 15, Jesus is having one final meal with his disciples. These are his disciples who in a, in a few hours are going to abandon him. They're not going to be loyal to him. Some are going to deny that they even know him. They're going to scatter. This is what Jesus says in that conversation to them. He says, greater love has no one than this. That someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends, if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. When Jesus 
says this to this ragtag group that's going to abandon him. He's basically saying that the meaning of the universe can be summed up in terms of friendship. In these chapters in John, he's been talking about his relationship with his father in John 14. In John 16, he's going to be talking about the Holy Spirit whom he'll send. He's been talking about this rich relationship of father, son, and Holy Spirit. This beautiful relationship of self-giving, of love, of loyalty, self-sacrifice. And Jesus is saying now to his disciples, he's saying, I'm inviting you into this relationship that I have with Father and Holy Spirit that you can experience. I'm inviting you. I'm calling you my friends. And Jesus knew that he would, they would abandon uh, him in, in just a few hours. See, when Jesus says that to his disciples, he's not just saying it to them. He's saying it to every single person, every one of us, every one of you who's bowed the knee and say, God, come into my life. Make me your child. I put my faith in you, not my own good record. Jesus is not only our Savior. He's not only our Lord. He's our friend. And that can sound kind of cheap, right? Like Jesus is our imaginary friend. You know, that's real cute. But that's not the testimony of the Scriptures. The, The testimony is that Jesus Christ actually lives. He rose again. He's at the right hand of the Father And he actually longs for us to be in relationship uh, with him. Jesus is the ultimate friend. Think about those three categories, loyalty. He was fiercely loyal to us, even when we were running our own way. He went to the cross, and he willingly died for us and pursued us. He was honest with us. You read the Gospels, he does not mince words. He's not out there to tickle our ears. If you're looking for easy words, don't read anything that Jesus said, right? He tells us the truth about our lives, about the coming reality, and lay down your life. And he gives us his counsel. John 16 will say that he's actually sending the Holy Spirit as a counselor, and he he continues to guide us and counsel us even now as we're in relationship with him. But even that is difficult, isn't it? Because we can't see Jesus. (laughs) We can't touch him. And Jesus knew it would be difficult for us. He knew it would be difficult for his disciples. So he didn't just say, you know, remember my words. He actually gave them a meal that they could touch, a meal that they could taste to say, whenever you take this meal, remember that I've called you into relationship, into communion, that I've called you friends. Every single week here at Brookside, we come to communion uh, to celebrate the Lord's Supper. We're going to be doing that again this week. And sometimes that name, communion, it's just the name of what we call it, right? But it's a descriptive name that when we're doing it, we're celebrating the communion, the relationship, the friendship that we have with Christ, with God the Father, with his Son, with his Spirit, because of what he's done for us. Today we celebrate not only that he's Lord and Savior, but that Jesus Christ is friend. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, first of all, we thank you that you've pursued relationship with us even when we've gone our own way. You continue to pursue us. And we're asking that at a real level, a real level, even today, that we would experience what a relationship with you looks like.